This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 378 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, Kentucky Performance Products, and EcoVet. This is Karen Abatista from Sarasota, Florida. And this is Tim Christensen from Miami City, Florida. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Remember, the Western Dressage Show comes to you the last week of every month, courtesy of the Horse Radio Network. Tim, I yeah. want an update from you. Actually, before we do that, we have a great show coming, I should let everybody know. We have Jack Aristotle Blue joining us later on today. Uh, Jack is the author of 101 Western Dressage Exercises, and she has been serving as an advisor to the Western Dressage Association of America since 2011, so we're super excited to have her joining us later. Um, so I wanted to let everybody know to stay tuned because she's coming up. But anyway, Tim, I want to know... Yeah how the Black Chap Challenge is going. And maybe you can tell our listeners Black what Chap that challenge. is. <laughs> okay, well, it's been a month now. So anyways, yes, as I told you, Karen, I have those Black Chaps that I want to show in at the Western Dressage World Show. So I've been on it a, a month ago. I changed all my eating habits, and I have done extremely well, and they're getting r- about ready where I could show on them. So it's going very well. So, awesome. Um, yes, we'll have to, you know, I like that, the Black Chap Challenge. Um, we might have to do something with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, see, in my world, we have the White Pants Challenge. I like the Black yeah. Chap Challenge so yeah. much better. So yeah. we didn't wear the Black Chaps this weekend then, huh? No, no, but they're getting close. So I'm, I'm very excited, and I feel awesome. I feel incredible. Got Good. all the sweets and all the processed foods. And all the sugars. So, yeah, feels no great. So no what do sugar, you fruits, vegetables, um, fresh meats. Um, I try to stay away from the white flowers now. It, it's kind of what everybody tells you what to do. And that's, I kind of read a book called Eat Fat, Get Thin by Dr. Mark. Um, I can't remember his last name, but it's a great book. And it just really just kind of shows you the benefits of eating really healthy food. And not only eating healthy food, but eating quality food that has that is like organic and is fed well with the appropriate things so it's very exciting very encouraging um and i feel like i said like a million bucks so well you know we spend so much time and effort thinking about what we feed our horses like I know I am totally into making sure my horses have the right vitamins supplements nutrition, and I'm not nearly as good about feeding myself. Yes, and the quantity. You know, remember, I used to work for years ago. I worked for Hill Pet Products and um, sold the science diet and the prescription diets, and one of the things was we can also control the quantity and the amount. Um, So, yes, therefore, our horses sometimes do look better and eat much better than what we do. (laughs) <laughs> well, good for you. And you went to a show this weekend, right? We did. We did. We went to um, the Florida Horse Park in Ocala. It was a very nice facility. Um, 
huge and undergoing a lot of changes. Um, I think they're going to add five new bars and a big covered arena. So it was it was pretty cool. And it was a USCF show um, and WDAA approved. So that was kind of fun because um, the USCF is kind of, it's kind of a brand new thing for the Western Dressage. So it was what you'd call a Western Dressage rated show. So okay. um, we had a good time and the horses did well. And every time we went in the class or every test, um, they improved every test for, for me and also for the riders. So it was a good show. Um, we got a lot accomplished. Well, speaking of horse shows, our listener question is, what is the difference between a rated show and a schooling show? That is a good question. Mm-hmm. Now, I can answer that in one word or less. Can you think of the word that I'm thinking of? Starts with an M. No. Money. <laughs> Money. Okay. Money. Well, yes, I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> <No>. Although <laughs> that that's not the true answer. Um, no. The difference between the rated a rated show and a schooling show, yes, is cost. You know, schooling show is going to be a lot cheaper, um, no. and it's also about memberships. You know, no. with rated shows. You need to have uh, USEF memberships, WDAA memberships, depending on the organization. Um, the, and and correct me if I'm not correct, but aren't most of our local ones, the GMOs, the general membership organizations, they pretty much are under the umbrella of the USEF. So even though it's not a rated show, um, you're still kind of falling under the, the umbrella. Is that not correct? Well, the GMO shows, GMO stands for Group Member Organization, and they are affiliates of the United States Dressage Federation, so it falls okay. under that. Each GMO will have their own requ- uh, requirements according about membership, and they'll have their own awards programs that if you are a member of that GMO, you may be eligible to participate in. Your GMO Western Dressage classes are automatically qualified uh, for some state programs, such as the WDAFL, Western Dressage Association of Florida. Their high point program scores from GMO shows count. That does not happen in every state. That's a state-by-state basis. Um, but you might want to do schooling shows if you are, they're a great stepping stone to your rated shows, to your national level competitions. If you have a novice horse, you have a novice rider, schooling shows are a great way to get out there, get comments from qualified judges, you know, educated judges. They're going to tell you where you are falling short and where you might need to focus your training efforts, and you can get comfortable with the additional stresses that showing entails before you spend the extra money to go out there into rated competition. Okay. Um, So that's a great question. I always, always recommend to my clients that they go out. uh, they, They practice in a schooling show environment to control their show nerves, to learn how much warm-up, 
what do they need to do to get their horse prepared to give the best performance they can in that ring for that six minutes that they have for their dressage test before they go into the rated competition and get, you know, serious about either earning scores or points uh, on a more advanced level. So thank you, listeners. Keep those questions coming. We appreciate it. And yeah, I think it. we're going to take a short commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your horse could enjoy a zone of repellency from pesky flies? Well, he can with EcoVet. EcoVet is an entirely new type of fly repellent that is safe for horses and those applying it, offering a real alternative to toxic pesticides like pyrethrins. EcoVet confuses an insect's normal directional ability, the bug's GPS, if you will. So if it can't locate your horse, it can't bite your horse. Dr. Wendy Ying from the Driving Radio Show has been using it in South Florida, also known as the Jurassic Park of biting insects, and she just loves it. EcoVet's active ingredients are naturally occurring food-grade fatty acids that have been clinically shown to improve the condition of horses with difficult-to-treat Swedish problems. EcoVet is effective on mosquitoes, ticks, noceums, as well as flies. You can visit EcoVet online at eco-vet.com for more information or to order. You can find EcoVet at Dover Saddlery Stores and EcoVets on Facebook. Just search EcoVet, E-C-O-V-E-T. She had waited all her life for this moment, dreaming about it since she was 10 years old. The trailer ramp touched the ground. He whinnied as she backed him out, swinging his head around to get a good look at his new home. His coat gleamed in the sun. Her love had arrived. She was breathless. He was beautiful. She could hardly wait to tack him up and start off on what she was sure would be the best times of her life. This love story is brought to you by Contribute, providing essential omega-3 fatty acids that help maintain low inflammation levels throughout your horse's body. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. Call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. And joining us today is Jack Aristotle Ballou, author of 101 Western Dressage Exercises. Uh, she comes to us from California, and she is an advisor with the Western Dressage Association of America, and we are so happy to have her with us. Hello, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. This is fun. Well, I did a little bit of research on you. I'm familiar with your name, of course, because 101 Dressage Exercises and 101 Western Dressage Exercises are some of my go-to books for my clients. Um, I think they're wonderful books. I recommend them to everybody. Uh, and I'm familiar, your background is actually really, really interesting. I mean, you have a dressage background, I know, but you do so much more than that. I wonder if you could kind of take a few minutes and tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and what you've learned and and kind of, you know, elaborate. Uh, sure, sure, because it does actually all tie into how I ended up um, 
being a proponent of Western dressage. Um, I'm a huge advocate of cross-training any equine athlete, and I think that comes from my upbringing. I was raised by horse trainers, but uh, my parents focused on different things. My father was a uh, carriage driving trainer, well, still is. Um, he competed in combined driving events. And uh, my mother was a uh, dressage trainer and rider. And we were always preparing client horses for competition, for carriage driving, for long-distance trail competitions, and for dressage. And the interesting thing, looking back, is that um, we developed the horses, no matter what their intended show discipline was, we developed them all the same way. So they all followed a very similar weekly schedule. And that approach has sort of infiltrated my um, adult life as a trainer. And even though my the majority of my time studying and training, my own development has been spent with dressage, um, with many trips to Europe and things like that. Um, I'd say that's my specialty, but at the, you know, the foundation of any equine athlete, I believe is just a well-rounded horse that can use his, his body really well and is really, um, mentally and emotionally adapted for all kinds of situations and terrain and different levels of stress on the body. So, um, that said, uh, I, my main pursuit is dressage, but I also do compete in endurance racing and in a very obscure little sport called ride and tie, which combines um, <laughs> running, yeah. uh, running on foot and racing the horse. Um, and, uh, Western dressage now as well. And that's been, um, a really natural and really fun addition to what we're doing here. Yeah. I, I, um, saw, and really like your five fundamentals. Oh, cool. Good. Yeah. You want to kind of talk about those for a minute? Because I really did like that concept so much. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just keep wanting, I want to emphasize this, the, the, sim, the necessity of keeping things simple and straightforward for horses because dressage is so complex. <laughs> um, and I and I find that teaching it and learning it can become a very brow furrowing, intense sort of experience. And mm. um, sometimes that doesn't always lead to positive outcomes. And so my five fundamentals are just really um, emphasizing the simplicity of the training approach, emphasizing that cross disciplinary need of every equine athlete, recognizing the mind body connection of the horse you know if they're very emotional they're not going to be able to use their bodies well and vice versa if there's restriction in the body uh nine times out of ten there's some emotional component that you're also grappling with um it's a very holistic approach yeah and you know it it does come back to that because if I've seen, uh, you know, in my years in the industry, I've seen the horse world, probably like anything, actually become more and more specialized. Um, Horses are specializing from a very early age. You know, I meet people with three-year-olds going, well, he's going to be a dressage horse. He might be bred for dressage, certainly, but um, horses never used to specialize so early. Uh, But, you know, we're probably all doing the same thing with our children nowadays. You know, you're going to be a soccer player or you're going to go to Harvard or rather than just saying, let's really develop uh, physically and mentally and socially this um, 
preacher, and then mm-hmm. specialized. So I was always raised um, to believe that every horse is capable of doing approximately third-level dressage. And uh, from there, if they're going to specialize in dressage, then the training becomes more specific on a weekly basis in terms of the things they school. But that's what's been so cool about Western dressage is it, it sort of says the same thing is like, well, you know, this, these horses, these stock horses are not going to have an extended trot like you're seeing in the Olympics going on right now, but they are capable of the softness and the balance and the adjustability of about third level dressage, you know, approximately. Mm -hmm. And from there, if a horse is going to go on and become a jumper or is going to go on to a high level trail career, they can specialize from there, but certainly all the components of of third level, more or less, I think is within reach for many, 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 many horses. And they don't need to start specializing before that's met. Well, one of the things you you said a few minutes ago, which I found really true in my own experience, was about how intimidating dressage can be to yeah. some of our you know, uh, especially our Western riders, or I I tend to think of it, and this is not meant as a derogatory term at all, but our backyard riders are people that have the horses in, you know, in their yard, and they want to do something with them, but they see dressage as uh, an unattainable goal for them. You know, they think of it as white pants and top hats. And I found that Western dressage has really, it's, it's so much approachable for these people. Um, you know, you, you watch the Olympics since that was just on this week and, you know, they're spectacular super horses, but you think I could never do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the thing is the training that's behind it. Yeah, you can do. Um, it, it isn't something that's only for the elite or the super talented. Um, I don't know. Have you found that to be right? The case? Yeah, no, that's, that's what's been so fun. I mean, I have many, I, I think the shows that are cropping up for Western dressage are, are, you know, fun and, and, and worthwhile. But I will say that when I travel around the country and do clinics, the vast majority of students I'm working with don't, I don't think have any intention of showing at Western dressage. They might eventually, but that's not why they're there. It's these trail riders, these recreational riders, these, you know, Western riders that have never previously shown up at a dressage clinic or come to me for a dressage lesson, but suddenly there's this place for them where mm-hmm. it's okay to show up. And it's, it's, I love it, you know, and I, I kind of rib them a little bit and say, well, I'm the same, you know, it's the same me. I've been here for years doing dressage lessons. Uh-huh. But now that we're calling it Western dressage, now it feels more approachable to them. And and I really think that's all it is. It's removing that. Uh, the barriers. Here. Yeah. Yeah. This yes, sort of yep. unaccessible, kind of highfalutin, super polished, maybe a little snooty. Um I'm putting myself right up there. I'm not pointing fingers at anything. No, and, and, but I just had a situation where a lady came and picked up some vitamins today, and her, their trail riders, and her husband said, I think she just told me that her husband said, I think I want to go do that. Yeah. I think I could do that. That looks like fun. So I think it is very inviting to the people who never thought maybe they'd been invited to the party before, that now they think that there's something that they can play in. So I like that. 
Yeah, and another really cool thing, if I could just share, that I've seen happen in Western Dressage is when I first got involved with the organization, which was way back in 2010, I remember at that time there was quite a bit of concern for, for people at the shows that perhaps the local dressage trainers would just put a Western saddle on their big fancy horse and come in and kick everybody's butt. And, you know, there was a lot of concern about how are we going to prevent that from happening and, you know, is that what we want to have happen, et cetera, et cetera. For the most part, I've not seen that to be the case. Most dyed-in-the-wool dressage folks are like, I'm not going near that, or or at least that has been the case. What I've seen in the last year that I would love to share is, a, a couple of my colleagues, um, one in Michigan and one in Vermont in particular, trainers, dressage trainers, uh, had were working with horses that just had some tension issues. They were big, fancy, warm bloods. They had jaw-dropping gaits. I mean, they just you just stop and stare and watch them take a diagonal line and, and think that's the most amazing trot I've seen or extended canter or whatever. But the horses were very tense. They were teeth grinding. You know, they couldn't get through a test queen, there was always some bobbles that came as a result of this anxiety. And in the last year, both of them kind of put their put their attitudes aside a little bit and their impressions and tried Western dressage. And at least for those two horses, it made a world of difference, whether it was just the change in tack or it was a change in the rider's approach, maybe. For those two horses, I mean, they are happy, they're relaxed, they're swinging through their backs. And I had one of um, the trainers say to me, and, you know, this is an FBI dressage trainer. She said, it's made me a better rider. She said, I'm not in love with the Western saddle. She said, but my horse <laughs> is so much happier. And and she said, I've had to become a better rider. She said, I've had to get off my hands. I've had to really use my feet, you know, mm-hmm. and and become more well-rounded in many ways. And I really yeah. appreciate and honor that. And I've seen that with two of my, what I would say my, 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 two of my top Western dressage horses were ex-show horses, very fractious and very anxious. And when they had to go to the show pen, you know, they just weren't, they didn't like what they were doing. They just didn't feel comfortable. And what I found, and, and, and elaborate on this, if you would, is my expectations changed for these horses when I went to Western dressage. And when my expectations changed, or maybe they were lowered or whatever, um, into something more practical that they could understand, they've just, these horses have just made out, they love it. Their ears are forward. They're happy. Um, would you think that'd be a part of the, of the whole thing is that our expectations are not maybe so high in grandeur? Um, yeah, the difference in approach, I think, sometimes can make all the difference. And- so need to see that. Um, what since you kind of dabble in both worlds, you know, what do you see as the differences between? And I don't want to call it classical dressage. Let's call it competitive dressage um, uh-huh. and Western dressage. What do I see as being the differences? Yeah, for somebody who may not quite understand, okay, if it isn't throwing a Western saddle on a dressage horse, what is it? Oh, I see. You know, I usually answer this question by, you know, again, the most simple way I can, which to me it comes down to what are we prioritizing. My 
My belief in um, helping the WDAA develop their tests and, and their clinic programs is I believe what we're emphasizing in Western dressage right off the bat is um, softness and adjustability and lightness of the horse. Um, I Those are certainly priorities for uh, competitive dressage as well, but I believe that to to be competitive in today's world, um, because the bar keeps getting higher and higher, the, the more we're breeding these really fine-tuned horses for dressage, um, I believe the priorities early on are to really get that power, almost that electricity um, mm-hmm. in the horse's movement and expression, um, sort of that extra edge. And that doesn't play a part in the early stages of Western dressage as much as that adjustability and maneuverability. I always ask myself when I'm watching a horse move, um, could whether it has an English or Western saddle on, could that horse go uh, work a gate, you know, with a rider, uh, you know, negotiate a gate on the trail? Could it get up and down a hill? Could it maybe separate a cow or a horse that's gotten loose on the trail. I mean, to me, the answer has to be yes for all those questions for a Western dressage horse because we are saying, hey, this is a Western horse with all the the advantages of that. Um, You know, when you watch those impressive Olympic dressage tests that we've seen in the last week, they're they're breathtaking. They're mind-blowing in some cases. But when I ask those same questions of those kinds of horses, a lot of times I say no. And and that's nothing that's not any sort of judgment. I mean, that's not the priority, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's well, interesting to hear you say that because a word I use a lot when I'm asked that question is rideability. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and I was just curious to see how you would answer it um, yeah. because I totally agree with what you said. Um, and this is the dressage radio show, so we have a lot of listeners that aren't really familiar with Western dressage. So it's important for them to understand um, both the similarities and the differences. But again, for me, you know, it really comes down to rideability. Your Western dressage horse, yeah, you could easily, and that's the key word, easily, you know, take out on a, on a trail ride. Um, you know, you, you there's a comfort and a... I don't like to word, use the word safety, but mm-hmm. they're just Tim. You you actually do you remember one of the first dressage shows you went to with me? Regular dressage shows, and you kind of looked at me and you went, "These horses aren't broke." <laughs> seasoned, but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, seasoned horses. Um, yeah, but but yeah. it's true. I mean, yeah. we 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 emphasize the reactability so much and the sensitivity in some of our upper level, you know, dressage horses that we forget that that's way more power than your adult amateur rider can comfortably handle a lot of the times. Well, that's it. Yeah, and there's always just so much to refine and to work on in dressage. I mean, there's no end. That. The problem sometimes is we can come out and just drill our horses day after day after day unless, you know, there is that healthy cross-training component. But I think you're absolutely right, Tim, and and I think that that's what really has kept me committed to Western dressage. First of all, I've made this incredible network of 
colleagues and trainers that are just delightful horsemen and horsewomen um, that we can collaborate together. But the second thing is, I mean, I've been that dressage trainer that had wonderful moving gates and horses that would go out and be competitive. But just, just as an example, when I moved to California, I'm from Vermont originally, but when I moved out here, I was riding a young Arabian stallion for a friend of mine who was this kind of cowboy guy that I shared the barn with. And he had to go out on some hot date or something. So he asked me to ride his horse for him. <laughs> and I, um, I I put the bridle on and his pack was all falling apart. I remember he had this bridle. It was kind of falling apart. I, I saddle the horse up and I go in the arena. Oh, that's like Tim's stack room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So you're familiar. And I'm riding around here. And it's dark at this point. It's night. But there's lights in the arena. And there's this 4-H group in there riding around, these little girls on their ponies. Well, the Arab stallion shakes his head and this bridle that's falling apart anyway falls off his head. <laughs> so now I'm kind of trotting around on this stallion with the, the bit kind of banging around his knees. And I, I panic. I panic and freak out because in my mind, I'm used to what would happen if I were on one of my horses in this moment. And I, I knew that I'd be kind of in trouble. Like I'd have to do some flying this time. So I, I kind of froze up and I'm looking around and this other cowboy guy in the I, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And this this cowboy guy looks at me and he goes, well, just say, whoa. <laughs> that was a novel thing. It was novel, right? And I was like, whoa. And that was stopped. I mean, so the point is, he knew to listen to his rider. He knew to, whoa, he knew softness. He didn't need that bit. And it just really highlighted for me exactly what we're talking about, which is, <laughs> right, right of <laughs> So, Jack, if somebody wants to uh, learn more about you and possibly uh, find your books, I know you have a new one, too, right? The new improved uh, 10-day conditioning. Is that what it is? 10-week. 10-week conditioning manual. Uh, Where would they find them? Where should they go? Yeah, so you can find the equine fitness books and the exercise books on my website at jackballoo.com. And then I also have a Facebook page, which is just my name, um, that has a lot of uh, horse fitness tips that post weekly. Excellent. Well, I, for one, have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I would love to have you back on our show again. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, just say well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been fun. Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western dressage saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. Our Total Saddle Fit tip of the week is on transitions. Yes. 
transitions. The how, what, how, what, where, when, and why of transitions. So, Tim, can you tell me when a transition is called for in a dressage test, when it should be performed? It should be performed when you talk about in the box. So I always say if it says um, develop the working jog between C and H, um, I always figure we clear C and then we begin develop the working jog in between. So by the time I pass H, I am in the working jog. Um, as I go up into another level, then when it says working jog at C, then I working jog at C when my leg is right there as I go by. Not Bingo. before, not afterward. When the rider's leg is at the prescribed marker. So when your leg is at C or A or whatever the letter is that's called for in the test, that's when your horse should make the change of gait. Now, if you're on a diagonal, the transition is made when the rider's leg is at the letter at the end of the diagonal. So that means if the test calls for a change rein HXF, you change your posting at the end of the line, not over X if you're for instance, in a posting trot, because posting is allowed in Western dressage. So what exactly is a transition? Transitions are changes of gait from walk to jog, jog to lope, walk to halt, or they can be changes of pace within a gait. So that could be your lengthened stride from your working gait. Why do we do transitions? A couple different reasons. One is to establish the go and woe that our horse moves quickly off the leg and comes back when we ask him to. And in doing so, we're kind of building up the hind end of our horse. We're building up his engine and we're building up reactivity to the aids. So one of my favorite, favorite, favorite exercises to do with my students and in clinics is kind of the pick a number exercise. So I'll ask them to pick a number between, say, five and ten. So pick a number, Tim. Seven. Seven. Okay. So you pick seven. So I'll ask you to do seven strides of walk and then seven strides of jog. Now, here's another question. What's the difference between a step and a stride? A step would be one step of the leg, and the, the stride would be all four legs in their movement. Very or good. Very, very good, yes. And a lot I'm of people don't know that. I'm trying to imagine that and then say that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the so, stride of a horse. Yeah, so you would you would take seven strides of walk and then seven strides of jog, seven strides of walk and seven strides of jog. But the thing is, when do you ask for the jog from the walk? If you wait until you're on that seventh stride, depending on how 
response of your horses, you may it might take him two or three more strides to get into the jog. So you start learning how much preparation you need to do for transitions. Now, the beginning of this conversation, we talked about when you get a transition in a dressage test and you mentioned in between letters. Well, the reason you have in between letters in your intro and basic level tests is because we recognize sometimes it takes a little while for the rider to prepare and the horse to respond correctly to what the rider is asking. So with some horses, it may be, you know, pretty quick. You ask, boom, they respond. But others kind of have this slow synapse firing. You ask and they kind of have to process it and then they process it and it goes to their legs and then they move off. So you learn through this exercise, if I want to be in my dog after my seventh stride of walk, I need to start asking when I'm on stride five. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you learn how much preparation you need to do to get the transition when you want to. Because if you wait until you want it, it's too late. And you can do and that. And that would true probably going into downward transitions as well, correct? Exactly. So yep. if you want to be walking after, you know, by count seven, then you might have to start, you know, asking him to come back and, and, and suggesting to him about walk way back at five or depending on how much engine you have, you, you might start asking for the walk, you know, four strides before you want it. Um, it's all about preparation. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Uh, Lynn Palm has a wonderful thing that she uses in her uh, clinics, prepare position cue. You know, um, prepare your horse, position your aids, cue the horse. Um, another trainer, you know, Matt McLaughlin, ask, tell, demand. You know, almost every trainer that I've worked with, they have this some this this series of clear communication, a way of setting your horse up, asking for what you want, and then making sure that they deliver as expected. Um, and if you do this, you can do it walk, jog, jog, lope, lope, jog, you know, up, down, in between, more jog, less jog, lengthen, shorten, lengthen, shorten. Um, pretty soon you start shortening that reaction time and you can get crisp and clean transitions um, almost immediately off the aids. Because the goal is we want light, we want responsive, we want harmony, we want partnership. So remember, you can learn more about Western Dressage by visiting the WDAA website at westerndressageofamerica.org. My website is karenabatistadressage.com, and you can learn more about Tim at training for forlife.com. And for those of you who might be wintering down in Florida, visit thesunshineclassic.com to learn about shows in Florida where you can go out with your horse and meet some like-minded Western dressage people. Reese and Philip will be back next week. And until then... And remember, folks... 
It's all about the journey. Enjoy your ride. Mm-hmm.